Hey guys, welcome to the Elite Coaching Podcast, episode four. Inside this podcast today, we are going to cover macronutrients and nutrient timing. We are joined today with Josh Cowan. How are you, Josh? Yeah, very good, man. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Um, I think it was just a matter of time before we got a good few. <laughs> I was good at actually. I was actually yeah. good at. I was number four. And <laughs> <laughs> um, so, for the majority of people, probably know who you are at this stage because we've done a lot of this stuff together. And um, but for anyone who hasn't kind of came across you before, do you want to just give a brief intro into who you are, what you do, and your background? Yeah, so my name is Josh, Josh Cowan. Um, I'm an online coach and personal trainer, specifically working online now at the moment. Um, working in Dublin as a PT for a couple of years and then I moved to online and then moved over to Melbourne about five or six months ago and then working PT here as well, but transitioning into much more online one-to-one coaching. And the same as yourself kind of style, body transformations um, and stuff like that, yeah. I think that's why probably myself and yourself, Josh, do have a lot in common because our, our kind of values of coaching are, are very similar. You know, we're quite quite body composition based, but then we also like care a lot about our clients' nutrition. We also care a lot about our clients' health and improving health markers. And I suppose that's why I think this will be a, a very interesting topic for myself and Josh to cover because our views are very, very similar um, on this and how we kind of program nutrition for clients is is quite similar as well. So just kind of a, just a brief overview of today. What we're going to cover is, you know, the introduction to, to, to macronutrients and the role that macronutrients play. And then we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that kind of pre-intra and post-workout nutrition, because like me and Josh spoke about earlier, it's something that is so kind of present at the moment. You know, people speak a lot about that pre-workout carbohydrate, post-workout, like pre-workout protein, whatever it may be, but who actually knows the reasons why and, and who knows the back end of why you know what happens from an internal perspective when you have a certain level of protein carbs and fats pre-workout and essentially what hormone responses they can then cause and moving forward so i suppose what we'll start off with is kind of protein like what kind of is protein the protein is is a macronutrient that holds kind of lesser energy value than it would be like a fat it's a it's a it's a macronutrient that's very responsible for for kind of helping recovery helping muscle building but for a lot of people, I think they don't really necessarily understand the reasons why we should have certain amounts. And I think for, for protein, it's kind of across the board. We have kind of even numbers. Josh, do you want to kind of just run through the numbers of a protein? And when we're programming for a client, what kind of numbers we would be looking for? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's completely client specific. And <clears throat> just as a kind of a an intro into all, pretty much everything that we're going to talk about is going to be so client dependent and close, so client specific that just trying to evaluate where you are on the scale is going to be really important. But from protein standpoint, we look at kind of a, a figure that my, myself and Adam will use 1.7 grams per kilo of body weight all the way to 2.2 grams per kilo of body weight. So for let's say 100 kilos, um, going from 170 grams of protein to 220 grams. And there's no uh, research out uh, at all currently that shows that anything past that 2.2 grams per kilo of body weight will um, promote even more uh, muscle tissue and staying inside that zone. So there's no real, real benefit to going outside there unless it's just adherence to the diet. If you enjoy higher proteins or you just happen to be eating so much volumes of food that you go over. But the key is for me, I look at that scale as you have to evaluate where you are on the, on the scale. Let's say you're a complete beginner, really low level of training, maybe training two times a week and doing just pretty much very 
and maybe working a sedentary job, you don't need to be on that higher level of protein to get uh, probably the maximum effect from it. So staying in that lower lower end, 1.7, even even a maybe even a touch lower, is probably going to be that optimal range for you. And there's no need for you to go up to that 2.2. But let's say for for like let's talk about myself and Adam or anyone who trains, anyone that's listening that does train quite regularly at quite good intensities. Let's say if we train four or five times a week um, and we work as a PT where our output is going to be much, much higher and we, we need more protein to help recover and, and repair tissues and grow tissue, then we're talking about that kind of higher level, even 2.2 and anywhere above that. But again, trying to stay in and around that, uh, that number there is going, to be, it's going to be optimal. So I think that we both agree on that, that pushing anywhere f- further than that isn't going to be any more op- any anywhere more optimal but just trying to stay in that and evaluate where you are but that's what i'd use um with clients and try to find out where they are on that scale and then try to find out their body weight and then work that out from there yeah and i think as well about about protein it's it's such a, a satiating macronutrient as well yeah, yeah, you yeah. speak about amounts if we're looking at a client who is on potentially a a fat loss phase you know we could essentially have maybe a higher car- uh, protein intake than somebody yeah, who's on agreed, a, a, yeah. a gaining phase because I think when we're, when we're judging those numbers, they have like massive leniency either way. And if I had a client who was, you know, in like the deep ends of a dieting phase where potentially like carbohydrates may be on the lower end, I think it may be more beneficial from a, a calorie perspective to increase calories to have higher protein because just from that satiating value, like if you have a high protein yeah. diet, the chances of you kind of eating off plan are going to be quite low because it's a really fulfilling macronutrient to have in high amounts. Now, in saying that, if you're on a gaining phase or if I have a client who's trying to put on muscle tissue, is it optimal to have like extremely large amounts of protein? Not necessarily. And, you know, when we look at kind of like an, an anabolic volume, well. yeah, like it, it would be a lot more um, responsive to have higher carbohydrate intake than protein intake yeah. if you want a a bulking phase because number one carbs aren't nearly as satiating as as protein you know if you're having 400 grams of, of protein per day the chances of muscle protein present <laughs> it's going to be crazy and as you're well you have to enough. always respect the fact that protein can be turned into into glycogen as well but then also can be turned into like kind of fatty acid production and can be yeah, stored yeah. as fat in the system as well so i think just kind of taking home if you are kind of programming for yourself like we said on a, on a on a dieting phase, could be potentially better to have higher protein intake. Um, but also when we're kind of structurizing protein, do you do you think it's it's wise to keep protein with every meal, Josh? Potentially, and you you want to try and so from a nutrient timing perspective, it definitely has shown that a consistent kind of let's say four to five meals a day of let's say on average we're talking one hundred and sixty grams of protein or something one hundred and eighty. Let's call it one hundred and sixty. So I don't, I don't have to do the math. Um, 160 grams of protein across four meals is going to be 40 grams a meal and that would be much better for increasing and maintaining muscle protein synthesis which I think we're going to talk about now in a second maintaining muscle protein synthesis across the board across the day rather than just hammering 160 grams at dinner time (laughs) and hammering that into us which is again you've ticked the box but it's it's okay to do that but you can be much more optimal and if we're talking about optimizing everything having let's say four anywhere between three and six meals of kind of 30 to 40 grams of protein is going to make that much more optimal for us 100 percent. yeah i think i think just even from a a digestive point of view as well if you've ever eaten a meal that's quite high in fat and quite high in carbohydrates the rate of digestion is always much lower like i always use an example for clients 
whenever we're scheduling refeeds, like the one thing I always say is do not have pizza. And they're like, but I love pizza. I'm like, okay, but you, you, you're eating, you're eating now in a position where you're so optimal with your digestion. If I give you a meal, that's like, yeah, and all your meals have been consistent with protein, consistent with carbs or fats. And then I just take away protein and fill you full of, of carbs and fats. The rate of digestion of that meal is going to be absolutely awful. And even when you're, you're snacking or whatever it may be, if you have a meal, like for instance, you have porridge in the morning and just have porridge and almond butter versus porridge and whey, the rate of digestion of that porridge and whey is going to be way higher because I think yeah. running protein with a, a carb and a fat always is going to improve that that rate of digestion so for myself as well i, I think yeah programming um protein with every single meal um, and it can differ you know depending on the time of day i think trying to keep um around that pre and post workout window potentially we might lower it down a little bit more just again from a, a digestion point of view and yeah. um, we want to be making sure our body's in a prime position to just utilize the, the carbohydrates and, and fats quite well and um, yeah. yeah i think programming across the board and like you said having a, a near even split and potentially with the percentage coming down a little bit on that pre and post workout window, but every other meal throughout the day, definitely keeping it, keeping it present is, is hugely important. And I think maybe, yeah, we'll, we'll just run through kind of protein synthesis now and, and why, it's, yeah, I think so, yeah. why it's important. So we'll just try and keep this kind of a, as a simple as possible terminology. So when we're speaking about protein synthesis. What we're basically looking for is a consistent kind of drip feed of, of protein throughout the day. And what this is going to do from a kind of an intercellular point of view, our muscle has protein kind of molecules inside the muscle. And what we're looking to do is just consistently keep those levels and consistently keep those molecules regenerating. And if we have consistent levels of protein, the level of kind of increased protein synthesis is going to be a lot higher. But also what this is going to do is this is going to then, of course, bring the level of protein breakdown and muscle breakdown down as well. So when we're kind of looking from a programming perspective and you see that level of protein coming right through the day, just always understand that we're always thinking about muscle growth. Like myself and Josh are extremely based on, on body composition and for it's in our best interest to try and push as much muscle growth onto our clients as possible. So having a high level of protein synthesis is definitely the right way to go. And um, have you, do you want anything you want to add to that, Josh? Again, just keep it on like a simple level so people can understand. Yeah, no, I think you take the box and just trying to be as optimal. And again, like you said, it's so advantageous for us to be splitting that up across the day and just saying, have a couple of windows during the day where we where we hit that that level. And but then, like you said, a little bit lower in that in particular pre pre workout. I think um, meal you don't be especially. You have to look at digestibility as well. Like I would not, I would definitely not be advising having something like a steak. And let's say we're talking about having a little bit of protein pre-workout. Some people might take this home and go, okay, I'm going to have a steak and eggs and Cocoa Pops for, bre- for a pre-workout, which probably wouldn't be the best idea. So you have to look at it digestibility-wise. And something I'll probably always have is, is, is have a whey pre. And some people would say, why are you having whey pre? I thought it was only for posts. And it's, it's simply for digestibility. Like if you're having chicken breasts and meat and like high-fat meat in particular, chance of digesting that and utilizing it is going to be really slim first of all but then also you're going to be walking around the gym bloated to get bumping into everyone left right and center like it'd be very very hard for you to um kind of digest that and and to feel optimized for your training session so i think that's really important as well is to try and make sure that the the protein source that you're having suits well to you and just like stuff like maybe if, if you are run through meats and stuff like white fish and whiter meats are going to be much easier to digest than red meats and, and bigger meats like that do you know 
it's a good take home. Um, just always think about digestion. You know, whenever I program for clients, I always say, you know, it's about food quality, it's about digestibility, and it's about nutrient timing. And those three things yeah. are so important. And just on that on the, on that topic, the quality of the protein as well is so important as well. You know, when we're looking at eggs, for example, if you look at the quality of the egg from just your normal Tesco egg versus like a free range egg, we have to always remember that organic free range the level of, of antibiotic that's going to be inside of that animal, the level of stress response is going to be inside that animal as well. Is that in return going to give us a quality product? And we think about the quality of the product. You know, I always say, you know, food has a, a role in the body. So like we said about protein, it's going to give us protein synthesis. It's going to give us an, an increase of a protein cell found in the muscle, which then in return is going to, could potentially increase the size of that muscle mass. If we are putting in poor quality products, it's going to hone a poor quality response. So I always think it's super important. And with all clients, I do this in the initial consultation or phase one kind of video breakdown that we'll go through. I will like fundamentally structureize that it's so important to have quality products. But even when it comes to supplementation, the quality of the protein that you use, like I know like my protein, Optum Nutrition, all really good. You know, they have a very high quality. But then when you look at like the extremely cheap, like I know here in Ireland, we have like Holland and Barrett and people like buy protein from Holland and Barrett. Like what response is that going to hone from an internal perspective? What's the chances of protein synthesis actually going to be present when that protein has been broken down? Absolutely none. But then also falls back into what Josh said about digestibility. Like this is kind of where, um, where kind of my if it fits your macros hatred comes out because I think that that lifestyle is so poor on digestibility because nine times out of ten the quality of the food that you eat throughout that phase is quite poor. And again, we're speaking about we're just kind of consistently re- relay back to this protein synthesis, the, the poor poorer of quality that we have, the poorer chances of protein synthesis being present. I just want to kind of outlined that from the start that you know food quality is just as important as the digestibility of the food and just as important as nutrient timing i think the three of those have to fall into that category together and um, so i think we'll move on yeah, to absolutely on to carbohydrates next yeah carbs 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 our favorites our favorites do you just want to kind of take take, take the take the, the bagels out. initial role on this and just kind of break down essentially what <laughs> carbohydrates do yeah, so carbohydrates even are going to be a really efficient energy source for us um, that we can use and uh, spread them out across the day. In, in around that kind of pre and post workout windows where um, myself and Adam will really program a little bit heavier in carbs. Um, and that's that's kind of the main, the main kind of uh, energy source that we get it from is going to be glycogen. And um, glycogen is going to be utilized in the muscle tissue itself and then uh, – uh, Post-exercise, let's say, um, we have a thing called glycogen um, uh, or depleted glycogen levels. And the goal of carbohydrates post-workout, but I know we're going to talk about this after, is kind of repleting glycogen levels. But in in summary, it's just simply an energy source that we can use to try and push for um, performance in the gym. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, it, that's fairly, fairly bang on. I think now with just what we touched on earlier, I think when we're looking from a, an anabolic point of view, me and you both agree that carbohydrate is the most anabolic macronutrient. Yeah. You know, if we're looking at yeah. trying to trying to add muscle mass onto somebody's frame, it makes so much more sense to have high carb intake, 
just due to the fact of you know your your levels of, of glycogen storage heading into the gym are going to be extremely mm-hmm. high and then given that level of glycogen replenishment post-workout from a high carb diet is only going to benefit you so much from a from a muscle building point of view and i think when we're speaking about carbohydrates something that we need to understand and have a, a really basic level of understanding of is insulin essentially what insulin is so you know insulin basically is a hormone that will give us higher levels of absorption of of nutrients so insulin is is responsible from a carbohydrate point of view and we have two categories that we kind of work under you can either be insulin sensitive or insulin resistant resistance Um, and if you are sensitive to, to insulin your chances of storing glycogen are going to be a lot higher and just kind of when we're looking at from a a client point of view, if you're trying to identify somebody who may be sensitive to insulin, usually will have a lower level of body fat and sleep pattern and hygiene will be a lot higher. Um, and in a non-smoker is usually, um, is usually a lot more insulin sensitive. And this is why, you know, people always, myself and Josh are, are, are quite known for this recomposition phase in clients of trying to bring body fat down to a much lower level before we will allow clients to move into gaining phases because we are trying to make them more sensitive to insulin. We're trying to give them the best possible opportunity to grow. And when you have a higher sensitivity to insulin written in stone, you will be more anabolic versus being catabolic. And then when we look at kind of resistance to insulin and being insulin resistant, you are going to be more push towards storing carbohydrates in fat cells because your body cannot utilize and store glycogen correctly. And some kind of telltale signs of an insulin resistant client would be somebody who has much higher levels of body fat, somebody whose sleep pattern is extremely poor. And many studies have shown that smokers have an extremely poor storage pattern and storage capacity to to carbohydrates so if you are looking to you know optimize muscle growth is smoking the best way to do that absolutely not because you're shutting down like we said earlier the most um anabolic macronutrients by 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 smoking so when, when we are looking at, at insulin uh, we're looking at carbohydrates and insulin when we do speak about that kind of pre-post-workout and intra-workout kind of set up later on just always remember that for this to be optimal, you have to be sensitive to, to, to insulin. If you have higher levels of, of body fat, if your storage, if your sleep patterns are off, and um, they need to be hugely fixed before I think it's a green light for you to try and implement an effective pre, intra, uh, and post workout um, kind of setup. Because, like we said, it's always good to put you in the best possible position to, to grow. And like I said, me and Josh are are quite well known for this uh, recomposition in clients and definitely show us with, with the amount of, of tissue that you, we can put onto a client, just get down to the fact of putting them in the most optimal position to grow. And um, that's kind of the, the an easiest way to understand insulin. I think, you know, being insulin sensitive, yeah, yeah. more chance to grow, insulin resistant, less chance to grow. Um, but then looking at you from a, a client perspective or even a coaching perspective, analyzing the clients, knowing when's the right time to push and knowing when's the right time to pull back. Because if you have a client who is in a very insulin resistant state and you ram high carbon take down, they're just going to gain body fat. Um, so that's kind of a, a really good one to to take on. And I think on that one, we'll just roll into fat, kind of the role. Yeah, even, of, ju- even just before you jump in there as well, one, one thing I'd like to say is let's say... Um, we have a client as well that is, let's say, insulin um, 
uh, sensitive and we just hammer them with carbs or if you if you're out there as well listen to this and you're hammering carbs keeping them really really high i'm talking 70 percent 75 percent of diet all all kind of weeks or all year round that sensitivity is going to go skyrocketing down because so the kind of the thing that we like to do myself and adam is a training and non-training day although from a kind of a performance and recovery standpoint as well having that training day where we have a higher carb intake and um, but also it's if we're hammering carbs all day long <laughs> it would be great now but our sensitivity to it is going to go down massively so having that kind of higher carb intake on a training day and then uh, a lesser carb intake on a non-training day and I, ju- I just set up a program today and it was i made it as simple as we can where the only difference in between the two days um was w- the post-workout meal and then the, it was about 800 calories or so and it had about 120, 130 grams of carbs in it. And that's the, to make it as easy as possible to just pull, pull that out. And then that's going to be much lower carb intake. And ideally you want to have some, some sort of fluctuation where you have a, on a training day, a higher carb intake and then a lower fat intake and then flip flop that higher fat intake, um, lower carb intake and non-training day to keep that sensitivity to insulin as high as possible. Because again, like Adam said, your ability to grow tissue kind of revolves around your ability, or it doesn't, not 100%, but it's massively impaired if you have a poor sensitivity to insulin. So trying to keep that as optimized as we can all year round. Yeah, absolutely. And it just really boils down to utilization, doesn't it? You know, trying to be yeah, yeah. in the best position to utilize food. And, you know, like Josh spoke about, trying to structurize training, uh, trying to structurize nutrition plans around that kind of that kind of theory of utilization, but also, you know, taking clients away from high carb intake from time to time, you know, something that myself and Josh yeah, do absolutely. is give them diet breaks, you know, run the, the recomp phases throughout their, their, um, their journey. You know, if someone may come to you in an insulin sensitive state, you can push carbohydrate intake so much that then in return could make them insulin resistant coming towards the end. Yeah. You know, I think I, I listened to a podcast, I think it was a Sigma nutrition podcast. And he basically just said, you know, if you are pushing super high levels of carbohydrate intake, if you see body fat levels go up, it's one telltale sign. But if you're in the gym and struggle to get like a pump or struggle to feel that tightness of the muscle when you're training, that's a very telltale sign that you are not utilizing the carbohydrates well. And even though scale weight might be increasing, yeah, nice. what is increasing? When we think about weight, you know, probably on a bit of an off topic here, but like weight can be a million and one different things. You know, when you're seeing scale weight increase, does that mean that muscle mass is increasing? Not necessarily. And what he basically said in the, in the podcast was, you know, if you, you, you have to base it off performance and, and visuals. So if you feel like muscle mass is increasing, fantastic. But if you feel like from a, a per- performance standpoint, if you do not feel like the, the carbohydrates you are intaking have any sort of a value or any sort of a benefit to the session, then you know that the, the insulin sensitivity has come major down. Yeah. So from a coaching perspective, it's just about about kind of communication to the client as well. If you That's are in right, that gaining yeah. phase, do you feel like you're getting a pump? Do you feel like you are actually utilizing the food well? And you'll know straight away. You know, if you've been pushing high carb intake for quite some time, you'll know when the time is to, is to pull back and incorporate um, diet breaks, incorporating you know, recomp phases. And it can only be for 10 days, 15 days, 21 days. But what that will do, to kind of refire that same sensitivity to insulin again, it's going to be, it's going to be quite, um, it's going to be quite impressive. So, will we roll into fats now? Want you fats? Yeah, let's do. Do you want to just take maybe the, the first maybe kind of introduction to fats? What they are, what they do, their energy value. 
Yeah, so fats are also, I don't think we touched on protein, and just so we um, summarize this all in all, protein and fat, protein, excuse me, protein and carbs are going to hold nine calories per gram, whereas fat is going to be, uh, sorry, excuse me, have that wrong. Protein and carbs. <laughs> protein, and fa- protein and carbs, get that out last time. Protein and carbs hold four calories per gram, whereas nine, er, fat holds nine calories per gram. So it's o- over double to over double the calories uh, per gram. So you need to be careful out. If you are implementing a high fat diet through a di- maybe a dieting uh, dieting phase, that it does hold a lot of calories. Um, but pretty much it's a it's an energy um, it, it's utilized for energy as well, and it's broken down into different types of fats, unsaturated, saturated fats, and it plays a role of probably a little bit less in percentage wise compared to protein, um, protein and uh, carbs itself. But then from a kind of a a role perspective, we talk about um, fat-soluble vitamins. So we need fats in the diet to be able to take in fat-soluble vitamins, which are A, D, E, and K. Um, We talk about hormonal production um, in particular. This is something that myself and Adam do push a lot. And having hormonal drops is something that is obviously, or imbalances is going to be something that isn't optimal. And these hormonal is produced from, higher fat intake and also cholesterol so cholesterol is a bad name for itself and um, but then also just trying to keep that at a good level and make sure that we get our blood sun maybe a little bit more regularly if we do uh, have cholesterol that runs in the family or something and um, from a cell production standpoint um, it's really important and also it can potentially reduce a lower fat intake can potentially reduce testosterone which is obviously a, a very important hormone for muscle growth and again we always revert back to this that we're always going to talk about trying to optimize physique here by adding tissue on so um from a testosterone point of view we definitely want to try and have that in an optimal place and then also like from an inf- uh, inf- inflammatory control so we don't want to be constantly inflamed and fat production or fat high fat intake reduces that but then also again from brain development and we talk about cognitive function i remember we were at a, at a at a um, seminar, do you remember Mark Cole's one when the transformation one, and he was telling us he goes like all I eat in the morning is just proteins and fats, and he goes and a black coffee, and I am like just on it for the day to start off. And only recently have I started to do that a little bit more often, where I'll only have protein and carbs in the morning with the coffee, and just that kind of and I get it from clients to from time to time or in the questionnaire if I say how do you function on a high carb diet or how do you function on a high fat diet nine times out of ten that the high carb diet might they say i feel a little bit lethargic after a really high carb meal so then just that that could be a case again of over consuming carbs and then under consuming fat and we talk we we are talking about this is and this is a take-home message we're talking about a higher carb diet low fat not no fat that we need to keep that in the diet and that's really important for for us to take home something i've only kind of started to implement a little bit more is that kind of higher fat approach because of how much it's worth and how the role the roles are just there's such an exhaustive list for for fats i couldn't even i won't bore you bore you on it but um it's really important to keep it at an optimal level for sure yeah i think just having having a baseline a baseline number for for clients you know for females you know never dropping below 50 grams for males never dropping below 80 grams like you said from a hormone perspective what they do 
in regards to testosterone, in regards to, to menstrual cycles for females. And you now one thing, especially in a female perspective, when we speak about uh, polycystic ovaries, one of the of the huge telltale signs is the lack of fat in the diet, which then in return is going to give that lack of of ability to, to stabilize hormones. You know, when you have PCOS, it's a much higher testosterone levels and um, estrogen levels are, are quite low. And when you look at someone's diet who has, has PCOS, usually fat content is very minimum. And that in return mm. is going to give that inability to, to stabilize um, that estrogen to testosterone ratio um, inside of a female. When we look at, at, at fats, I think, like you said, trying to program fats, I'm a, I'm a, a big big believer in in pro pro fat breakfast as well i think having that fasted window from from carbohydrates in the morning from a digestive point of view but like you said from a cognitive point of view it's it's absolutely unbelievable and i know we we speak so highly about trying to have pre-workout carbohydrates but sometimes as well for clients again it boils down to preference but some clients love training in the morning and having a a pro-fat meal beforehand and you have to understand about glycogen stores it can store from 24 to 36 hours so you're always going to have glycogen in the system and me myself and josh really push fast acting carbohydrates because it can it can really start that glycogen very quickly but if you eat a diet where it's it's quite slow acting in carbohydrates and and really kind of keep your your carb sources from very slow acting and um, those glycogen stores are going to be present but i think from a especially from a cognitive point of view like myself and josh are quite sedentary at the moment in in, in 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 regards to what we usually do and for us like i know if i wake up in the morning and have a pro fat breakfast versus a, a pro carb breakfast and i'm sitting at the computer or the laptop for 10 or 11 hours a day i i know that the pro fat breakfast is going to be hugely beneficial and um, hugely beneficial for myself so i think you've kind of summarized quite easily and quite simply the roles of, of proteins carbohydrates yeah. and fats and i think now it's really going to dive into the, the juicy stuff of that kind of pre intra and and post-workout so why don't josh do you just want to run me through like your setup for a client uh, of kind of pre-workout nutrition maybe run through like why why you like to have certain macros in and maybe run through some food sources that you like as well like to, to schedule for clients yeah absolutely and if we're talking about let's talk about the kind of the higher carb a bit of protein so some something that again depending on when we're training in the day also at timings as well could be could be a nice thing to talk about um so if we're i remember i had one client and it comes to mind where he used to train at like 6 a.m and i never knew that he trained this early and we maybe give him a, a meal of let's say and he was in a in a surplus of like um, 100 grams of 100, 120 grams of oats or something like this and whey and he's actually eating it on the way to the excuse the pun to the gym I swear to God walking there and then I said said man I feel awful full just when I get into the gym I was like are you giving yourself adequate time I was like well I train at 6am I said what time are you waking up at he said half five and I said oh god here we go so just trying to give yourself yeah giving yourself adequate time if we're talking about pre-workouts timings are really important here where we say 120 minutes plus and it may seem a long while away. So you want to have something that is satiating um, and a kind of a, a larger meal then that's going to keep you full enough so you're not starving walking into the gym. But then if we're talking about stuff like, or kind of the setups, and I'd be a very big advocate of like high carb and protein meal. Something I'd like to use is something simple. I know you like to use uh, baby rice or cream rice, something that's really high in carbs, extremely easily digestible. Um, and then also a protein source like something like whey and I think that, that that's always a nice 
um, a nice mix to use. Um, but then it, it all comes down to digestibility, um, how well you can digest it and utilize it. And are you giving yourself enough time to actually utilize it to, to aid performance in the gym? So something like that would be like kind of a, a standard meal that I give to clients or oats, um, uh, rolled oats, which are a little bit easier digestible and a whey protein source and then utilize that for the, uh, for a pre-workout something like that yeah so i think that's something we both agree on is is that pre-workout of, of protein and carbohydrates and you now when we're looking at when we train we're training in a very glycidic environment so glycogen is going to be that primary energy source so having mm-hmm. something that's fast acting is, is going to number one improve the, the sensitivity to insulin because when you when you jump into the gym you're going to be fired into into sympathetic dominance when we are in sympathetic dominance we do have an ability to to um to utilize carbohydrates a hell of a lot better because we are in that you know fight or flight mode and and something quite fast acting like carbohydrates may be more beneficial versus something like a versus something like um a fat 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 source now when we speak about yeah. like really high acting fat you look, you think about, you know, an endurance, you know, you think about like a marathon runner, somebody who's going to be like utilizing energy very slow, very steady for an extremely long period of time. When we speak about the way we train, you know, it's, it's about max effort. You know, it's about, it can be from, you know, a, a six to eight rep on a, on a hack squat to a, a 15 rep on a, on a bicep curl. So it does change, but both of them will be extremely glycidic and, and the glycogen will be the main exactly. energy source. So it's always good to, we always say fuel and replenish before we need to fuel to improve that level of insulin sensitivity. But then again, speaking from, from protein, what we're trying to do, like what we said, we're trying to increase that level of protein synthesis. And, and during a workout, like we, this is the, probably the most optimal time to have um, protein synthesis occur. So like Josh said, an easy to digest um, an easy to digest protein, protein source, a whey protein, a whey isolate protein, two phenomenal sources from a digestion point of view and from a, a protein synthesis point of view. And, and we're looking for, you know, that high level of, of protein synthesis, low level of, of muscle breakdown or low level of, of, of protein breakdown. And as well, I think just a, on a kind of a, an additional note, I do think having some level of fat is important in a, in a pre-workout meal because Fat can stabilize glucose, and if we have a stability in glucose, we may improve the sensitivity to insulin as well. So, something that you know I, I've implemented in many clients just based off feedback. If I give you a 150 grams of, of cocoa pops pre workout, so it's a, a massive amount of carbohydrates, potentially a large amount of sugar intake as well. You know, there's a very famous saying, What goes up must come down, and if we fill them full of, of carbohydrates that insulin and blood sugar and glucose can spike, but it can also drop as well. So what we need is consistency across the board. Adding in something like, you know, some dark chocolate, even adding oil to the meal as a fat source can hugely improve that kind of glycogen um, glycogen depletion and can, can improve the ability to stabilize blood sugar levels. Yeah. So I think we both agree yeah, on that. that from a pre-workout point of view, it's about fuel. You know, how can we fuel for that glycidic, um, for that glycidic environment? And when we're speaking about intra-workout, you know, what's kind of your, your takes on, on intra-workout, Josh? Yeah, and just w- one other thing on carbs there, um, that when I was flicking through a couple of couple of bits to try and uh, look before we were talking about this, and we came across this this figure about glycolysis and, and glycogen storage 
that 82% will of or ATP demand will come from glycolysis. Mm. So just in, lay, in layman's terms, no glycogen. An ATP, sorry, just for anyone who doesn't know what it is, is going to be a pretty much energy supply that comes from that you can get from creatine in particular. But ATP provides energy. Energy provides performance. So pretty much in layman's terms, without any gly, uh, glycogen, no ATP, no performance. So that's a huge, big kind of a, a banker for ATP supply for the body. So if we're not, if we don't have adequate ATP supply in the body, we're not going to be able to maintain, if not in, in particular, pr- improve performance. So something that's really important there. So having glycogen storage across the board, again, re- for fuel and replenishment in particular post-workout, but we'll talk about that in a second. So intra-workout is something that um, I would say for, mo- for most people, to, to be optimized 100%, yes, we can talk about it. It isn't the most important thing that I would be talking to a client initially about, but definitely something that is, sh- is shown to improve um, performance, shown to improve if you, if you have the right things, it can improve uh, muscle protein synthesis. Um, but some things are just, and I think I know what we're both going to be talking about here, <laughs> some things are she pissing in the wind excuse my language but um i think that's really important to try and nail down uh which ones that um are are good quality and which ones are poor quality so if you were to set up a um an intro workout of, of choice for yourself what would you go what would you look at um well i suppose what we're looking to just improve improve protein improve protein synthesis and improve this supply of glycogen you know, so yeah, yeah. I think it, a very good intra workout setup for myself, and, and I, I've utilized as a client and got phenomenal um, results. I like to do anywhere from 14 to 25 grams of essential amino acids. So, EAAs, mm-hmm. so we're going to cover now in a minute the difference between an essential and a branch chain. Um, a very fast acting carbohydrate source, like a, like a cyclic dextrin, um, is a fantastic um, carbohydrate source been shown in studies to massively improve the stability of blood glucose and to improve the sensitivity to insulin and the supply and demand of glycogen during a very glycidic environment. And then when we spoke about creatine, anywhere from kind of five to 10 grams of creatine, just like what you said, keeping that energy value topped up. You know, when we speak about creatine, creatine is that we're looking at kind of that role of energy demand and you know when you're looking at like your your atp aerobic anaerobic inside that atp we are looking for like uh, if you think of like anywhere from a one rep max to like a four rep max where intensity is extremely high it's fast it's powerful think about pulling your one rm off the floor that is going to be all atp and keeping that level yeah. topped up across the board because we utilize that so much you know in those last reps like if if, if josh took you to failure on a hack squat and on that fourth or sixth rep, like when you are exerting everything you can, ATP is depleted. So just keeping that level topped up, I think, into workout um, is super important. So that's where I like to optimize essential aminos and branch chains or carbohydrates and then creatine. So do you want to kind of debunk the branch chain um, myths that are going around? I think, you know, I think branch chains have good intentions, um, but there's no real logic behind them and you know when we're speaking about aminos we're looking at the, the whole amino branch so amino acids come from from protein we have essential aminos which are basically your full chain of amino acids to so think about having like a, a really high quality chain of amino acids across the top then you have a branch called leucine 
And then below leucine, you have a smaller branch. And then that essentially is what's going to be your, your branch chain aminos. And when we're looking at like, why it's important to have some sort of amino acids during the training, we're looking to improve protein synthesis. Essential aminos in studies have been shown to improve protein synthesis. Branch chains have not been shown to improve protein synthesis. So like me and Josh in a web been marketed. They've yeah. just been marketed so well. And fair play to them, everyone who's yeah. marketed them so well and made so much money off them. But again, looking back at any research, yeah. what, they're as good as using pouring a bit of dilute, a bit of Robinson's into your water and bringing it on a training session. And the kind of the, the um, analogy that we used in the webinar was taking, uh, taking BCAAs while you hit your protein level with good quality amino acid profiles in your food is like washing your car when it's, yeah. like monsoon season outside you know? <laughs> so like it's that's literally that's literally it and yeah. it's just trying to think that there's there's no there's no massive benefit to it at all if very minimal right or you can just supplement through an eaa which mo- most people actually don't know is actually a, a thing which is the funny thing because it's so much more beneficial but adding that i think into into it is is a much much better idea yeah it also helps improve that kind of that intra workout as well from a kind of a performance standpoint to be able to maintain and like hold on to performance and train harder for longer and from an endurance standpoint is really important as well so if you feel yourself fading a lot towards the end of the session and for myself like on a leg session let's say if i have calf raises at the end or something um, and uh, we get to the end of the session and we give it half hours effort we've all been there we all know and towards the end of the session it not not just legs for everything else and um, if you do feel that you have that fatigue towards the end of the session, maybe this is is a, an avenue that you can explore 100%. I think as well, it's it's kind of choosing your, your audience wisely. You know, would I give a, a, a novice lifter that intro workout? Absolutely not. Okay. Like, what is that going to, bar putting a massive hole in their pocket, is that going to benefit them? No, absolutely not. Yeah. Somebody who has been training for, for a good couple of years, somebody who is really looking to take it to that next level, are they going to be in a position to utilize that? Absolutely. But then it always boils back to what we very first spoke about. It's client specific. You need to have a client who has you know, a lean starting point, a client who has a really good sleep um, hygiene and routine, and somebody who is going to be sensitive to these macronutrients being filled in. If you have somebody who is higher in body fat, you have somebody whose sleep is, is really poor, whose overall lifestyle is extremely poor, is giving them an intro workout going to be beneficial? I don't think so. I think it's it's very client-specific. I do, don't think yeah, it's no. for beginners or people who are just walking to the gym. I think it's for people who have been training a long time and just looking to make that extra... Looking for those 1%, 1%, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely 100%. And like yeah, I said, it yeah, can be yeah. quite expensive. And I think as well, branch chains have been... BCAs have been so... And um, have been so successful because they're so cheap as well. Cheap, if you, yeah. If you look at like no goes those rain energy drinks, you just see BCAs, BCAs, and people think it's a fantastic topic. But then when you look at EAAs, potentially nearly double the price in in some cases. But then you always have to look at the back end and look a little bit deeper into things and, and understand on a, on a deeper level why it's important for us to have yeah. essentials versus versus branch chains. I think that'll move us on to the post workout. Yeah, that's going to ruffle a few feathers. I think I wouldn't be throwing their BCAs out or putting them up on Gumtree or something. But look, <laughs> we do. You have to know these things as well. And it's very famous saying, "You don't know what you don't know." And yeah. this is why you know myself and Josh wanted to come on and speak about this topic because, like we said at the start, 
It's so present. People love had that whole high carb, high protein, pre post workout, intra workout. Who actually knows the foundations of, of why? And this is why we wanted to make the podcast today to give you that information of why. But yeah, I yeah. think we've definitely debunked one of those fitness myths that's been going around for a long time. The BCAAs will make you jacked and make you perform better. Not necessarily. Um, okay, yeah. so we'll talk about post workout. Now, um, I think me, myself and Josh both firmly agree that it's, it's all about replenishment. You know, what we've just yeah. utilized from, from a glycogen standpoint to still keep that level of replenish, replenishment there, it's, it's super important. And what, what do you favor, Josh, in that kind of post-workout meal? <clears throat> do you favor fast-acting or slow-acting carbohydrate intake? Yeah, definitely, definitely fast-acting carbs. But again, one thing as well we need to talk about is our t- timing before you even talked about the meals. And again, we could probably debunk another thing here that you have this anabolic window where it lasts 30 minutes. And if you don't eat something in these 30 minutes, if you don't have, so I used to honestly finish a set of bicep curls and down under my feet, I'd have a whey protein shake made up for me here (laughs) and boom, straight down the hatch. Okay, grand. I've actually grown some tissue here, but that's probably the worst thing we can possibly do where we want to try and wait. I always give clients at 60 minutes, absolute minimum time post-workout. Now, sometimes it could be a little bit hard if hunger levels are very high, 45 minutes at the absolute least, but your ability to flip the switch and push from that sympathetic dominant state to parasympathetic state by doing something as simple as five seconds in, five seconds out breathing, just to try and calm our nervous system and be able to push into that rest and digest state to actually digest the food in the first place. But that's off topic anyway. In terms of, no, no, I, think, no, for, no, no. I think keep keep running with that because that that's super important <coughs> for people to, to understand is the ability to digest. So, how how would you nearly get a client to, to track that? So, if a client finishes the session, are you getting them to track the resting heart rate? Are you getting them to try and how, how would you kind of know in a sense? Okay, you're starting to now push towards that parasympathetic state. You can now digest food. Is there any kind of ways you you get clients to track? you know, maybe resting heart rate post-workout or, or what way do you, do you optimize that? Yeah, hundred percent. That's the, the best part about having all these kind of watches and stuff now is that you can actually track your heart rate. And there's sometimes even I've given it 45, 60 minutes and I've come back to eat, uh, post-workout and look down my watches to have a look and it's 82 because I've kind of been running around and I've done a check-in or two and I've had a shower and this, that and the other. And, and then you come around to it and you go, okay, I just need to take a minute here because if I'm so sympathetically dominant, the blood let's say if we've just done a, a lower body session or um something like that the blood is shunted from our gut into our limbs that we've just worked or even if we're just um from an involuntary response let's say if we think about something that's really really stressful like something that's going on at home or a relationship or some something to work then you get into this fight or flight response and we're prepped and ready to literally fight so the blood is shunted out of the gut because it's not needed there into our limbs to be ready for to fight. And if there's no blood in the gut, then we find it really almost impossible to digest the food. So you're just wasting wasting money putting food into you in that, in that time. So trying to use, like you said, resting heart rate or just check your heart rate and see where you're at. If it's too high, just doing something as simple as 60 seconds to two minutes of breathing and that five seconds in, five seconds out seems to be um, the best measure for it or just something as simple as just even going for a nice really gentle walk or something like this and trying to get out into nature and try to calm the nervous system think about think about something that will, will calm you um, and trying to get that heart rate down as low as it can before you even think about putting the bagels in the toaster do you know yeah, absolutely man and again one of them things that 
you don't know what you don't know. Some people think yeah. that myth you have to start consuming straight away because of the anabolic window. Anabolic window is, is going to be down to sympathetic dominance when, or so. when you make that that switch. I think what you said is so important. Having a post-workout routine is nearly more important than having the post-workout meal. If you can meal. be in yeah, like that, yeah. a sympathetic dominance, you're, you're not going to be able to digest that food. And like you said, we speak so much about having that onset of protein synthesis, having that stability in glucose and having the ability to replenish. If you've done everything right from your pre-workout, your intra-workout, you've trained to high intensity, if you can't nail down that post-workout routine, it's all it's all nearly it's a waste useless, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. You're just throwing, literally throwing money and nutrients away. That's actually it. So just trying to nail that down. And from a kind of a structure point of view, I know actually you gave me this one, I think a couple of months back and it was a really nice figure. Um, so I'll give you the shout out for this one. I won't take it. Um, where we're talking about, we look at, let's say for a phase, and we, we talk about, so we definitely just want to keep it at kind of protein and carbs for this one and try and minimize fat for the, for the initial post-workout meal, I think. Pre-workout's okay. And then maybe that second meal after we can add in a little bit of fat, but that post-workout should be predominantly high, easy, fast-acting, easy digestible carbs, and then easy digestible, fast-acting protein source. And if we're talking about how many carbs, I think this is a really, really nice one, something I've been actually working off quite a bit lately. For the timing-wise, let's say we have an hour session. So we want to try and give one carb. So if we're in a dieting phase, one gram of carbs per hour, per minute trained. So if we're in a dieting phase, we train for 60 minutes, we do 60 grams of carbs. If we're in a maintenance phase, we do 1.5 grams per carbs per minute. So that would be 60 minutes. 1.5 is 90 grams of carbs. And if we're in a gaining phase and we want to double, if not even more than that, um, 2 to 2.5 even, and um, when I double that, let's say at 60 minutes, 120 grams of carbs minimum and trying to put that into place and just structure and seeing that written in stone as your post-workout and trying to tick that box automatically. And all clients, if they look at those numbers will add up. And if we're in a fat loss phase, most likely the post-workout that we've had will sit around 60 to 65 grams of carbs. And the same with the gaining phase would be about 120 to 140 grams of carbs. So I think that putting that into place and then from a, a protein standpoint as well, we want to try and hit, again, whey protein is going to be shown to be much more optimal for, fat, first of all, fast absorbing, but also it yield, it brings that increase in muscle protein synthesis. And that's, it always reverts back to that and just trying to keep that into the most optimal place that a whey protein source will increase muscle protein synthesis more than like an animal source of protein. So trying to put that in like a whey protein, whey protein isolate, ones with a better amino acid profile, the better. And again, that comes back to buying shit protein. You're going to get shit, shit quality from it. Therefore, you're not going to get as good results. So all, everything, although it's, they're the same, it says one says whey protein for 20 grams, one says whey protein for 20 grams, one's 20 euro and one's 45 euro. There's a reason why it's 45 quid, you know? And it has such a better amino acid profile. It's probably much better quality than the other one. So with nutrition in particular, stuff like that, you want to try and all cost dependent obviously maybe find an in-between one as well but quality does lie you know in the in the more expensive ones 100 yeah, percent. absolutely yeah it's just it's like, it just obviously we, we've we've dove dive deep into you know the 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 back end of proteins and carbohydrates but i think in that post-workout window you know like we said it's just boiling down to having the ability to the ability to digest, the ability digest, to, yeah. to replenish is it, super important, and it, it can it can vary. You know, it can vary from very client dependent, from from yeah, uh, fast acting to to slow acting. I think myself personally, I do favor fast acting carbs. I think 
you are going to be in a position to want certain foods post-workout. And I think, you know, we're nearly infamous for this now, the Coca pops in way post-workout. Myself and Josh are big advocates of giving that to clients, but it's something you, you look forward to. You know, if you just on an extremely taxed oh, yeah. leg session, if I say to her, I'm going to have chicken and potatoes versus a whey and Cocoa Pops, you're going to look forward to that whey and Cocoa Pops. Yeah, and even in the dieting phase, trying know? to keep that right the way through is, is, is super, super important. And I think that's just one more, I know this has gone on for, for quite a while and we, we really wanted to cover a lot of topics in that. One more thing myself and Josh wanted to cover was that pre-bed nutrition. So I know we spoke a lot about the setup of, of macronutrients, kind of our kind of day-to-day setup of client programming. We spoke a lot about that kind of pre-intro and post. But now kind of that, that pre-bed nutrition setup, I think is very important because something that is kind of not really spoken about that much inside the industry, but something that myself and Josh really speak quite similarly on. Um, when, when we're setting up, pre-bed nutrition what we have to understand is what we are about to do we're about to, to dive into sleep we're about to dive into a state where digestive function is not going to be present but now something that i spoke about on the on the sleep episode on the podcast is you know when we're in that parasympathetic state it's rest and digest but when we sleep we don't want to digest we just want to rest so we, we don't want our body to be in a position where we have to time to try and digest food or that gastrointestinal tract is going to be fired up before bed you know, if you look at from a nutrition setup, if I gave you steak and cashew nuts before bed versus Greek yogurts and berries before bed, you know, what's going to be easier to digest? You have two protein sources, two protein and fat sources, um, but both of them are going to offer two completely different um, avenues in regards to digestion. You know, what me and myself and Josh spoke about earlier is kind of cheat meals and, and refeeds as well. You know, if we gave somebody like a, a burger and chips or a pizza right before they went to bed, what do you think that's going to do from a, a digestive standpoint? What way do you like to kind of structurize your pre-bed meals um, for clients, Josh? Yeah, and again, I know I've said this a couple of times, but it comes down to one is is timing again and trying to if you're hammering and i used we used to do it all in the past you know because you thought if i get this closer to bed it's going to be more anabolic for a longer period of time stuff but you're hammering food in 20 30 minutes before you go to bed mm-hmm. that means that 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 kind of initial hour after you've eaten or even two hours let's say is going to be the most aggressive that your digestive tract is going to work and stomach and everything to try and break down the food so if you're trying to nod off to go to bed and try to get eight hours of sleep while your digestive tract is working absolutely maximally in, o- in overdrive, yeah. it's probably not going to be ideal to try and push that parasympathetic state and try to push into that, that kind of want to fall asleep. So trying to, I always try to say two hours before bed, no food, yeah. and that will give ample time um, to kind of to, to wind down, pretty, pretty much have a wind down window for your digestive tracts. And then from a kind of a what we're putting in there is that easy to digest. But I know you, you like to use stuff like um, Greek yogurt and some berries or something like that, and maybe some whey or something. These kind of foods are really good because they don't require too much yeah. kind of, they don't require the digestive tract to work really, really hard. And putting stuff like, if you're having 200 grams of brown rice and a steak and uh, <laughs> loads of fried veg and stuff, you know, before bed, like good luck trying to, Good luck trying to get eight, eight good quality hours there. 
So if you look back at it and maybe if you've ticked all the boxes, your sleep hygiene is perfect and everything is in a really good place and the bedroom's in a good place and you have your checklist and stuff and then you go, oh, you know what it is? I've been eating 20 minutes before bed. This could potentially be it and this could be disrupting your sleep massively here in those Absolutely. first couple of hours. Yeah, we have, we have to understand that our body requires energy to break down food and do we need an energy output while we sleep? No, we, we don't. Our body is in a state of rest. You know, if, if you're tracking your sleep, having the ability to say on, on a cheat meal, your sleep will always be interrupted. You will never get a full night's sleep after having like a pizza or a burger and chips if it was close to resting time because your body's energy value for breaking down that field is going to be so high. It's going to require you to sleep. Your body's not going to want to stay asleep and it will kind of spiral you out of that, out of that kind of, out of that sleep pattern. I think that's, yeah, it's so important. Again, one of those things that it's spoken about inside the industry, but people don't necessarily understand why. And um, so I think yeah. we both just covered that. It's just going to boil down to digestion, you know, and the ability to, like we said, in that parasympathetic state, you it's about rest and digest. But when we go to sleep, it's just about rest. We don't want yes. it to be trying to to focus on on having any sort of level of digestibility or high levels of of need to digest. Um, mm. And I think we covered a lot on that podcast. I'm happy we had our yeah, answer. I think that like going, going back and just covering, we looked at a couple of things in terms of like, it all comes down to client specific or person specific. Digestibility is, is pretty much the main thing we talk about. Can you digest it? Can you utilize it? Um, and then timings and trying to put them in the right timings for a pre intra and then post-workout and then pre-bed meal. So hopefully everyone, everyone or the listeners can take a couple of bits from that. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that's I'm really happy how that went. And like Josh said, there was a lot of information there. So, a lot of information that you guys could just take home and implement into either yourselves or your clients, and just understanding a little bit more um, about the macronutrients is super important. So, yeah, thanks very much, Josh, for giving up your time and coming on. Man, I really appreciate that. No worries, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. No worries. Thanks for tuning in, guys.